Welcome back to our growing experiment. We're here with Lindsay, the superior gardener. She's going to tell us about her garden and how she got started. So Lindsay, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction? Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. This is this is a great opportunity to just kind of showcase what I've been up to uh, up here. So um, I'm Lindsay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Lindsay. I'm a small business owner. Um, I'm a backyard farmer, a homesteader, kind of a, a wide range of, of things going on here. Um, I live in Sault Ste. Marie. I live in the west end of the city, so I'm much closer to Lake Superior. Um, but I am nestled right in between um, Lakes Superior, Michigan, and Lake Huron. So uh, gardening does have quite the uh, the lake effect up here. <laughs> um, I've lived here my whole life. I only left once just to go to university. Um, I went down in southern Ontario actually to um, Waterloo, University of Waterloo, and then came back as soon as I graduated. I missed it. I missed the air and the trees and the green and the lake. So uh, didn't stay down there too long. Um, I've been gardening as long as I can remember. Uh, but it's all self-taught. I didn't have uh, somebody kind of to follow around. I just did a lot of it through trial and error, which um, is kind of like my university degree. I, I went to school for biochemistry, so there's a lot of transferable skills um, with experimenting and hypotheses and figuring out what to do <laughs> when, you, when you make a lot of mistakes. So, um, so it's been um, a fun adventure. Um, I've always collected seeds. As long as I can remember, I didn't not think that, that there wasn't a reason to when I was growing something. So I've always shared them with my family and friends. Um, but then the pandemic hit in 2020, and I thought maybe I can take a run at this and start um, a business out of my hobby. So that's kind of uh, how it all started. Uh, <laughs> it's just snowballed from there. Um, I think it's really important to save seeds and uh, live harmoniously with the land. I, I mean, it provides so much to us. Um, I like to do whatever I can to give back to it. Um, I also um, expand my garden a little bit every year. This year, I think it's going to be around, I don't know, 800 square feet now. I started really small, but every year I add a about 100 square feet or so so because there's always more stuff that I, I want to start gardening. Um, I usually have about 150 varieties of, of, of veggies and herbs and flowers going on at once. Um, it's all organic, all open pollinated. I don't use any like uh, synthetic um, fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Um, I'm in zone 4B here. I don't know if it's the same zone as you guys. Uh, yeah. But so, so, you know, our first and last frost date are, it's between, I don't know, usually second week of June is for sure okay. And then second week of September when it ends. So there's only about, I don't know, uh, three good months of growing. Uh, so I like to choose seeds, choose things to grow that work well in our northern climate. So I'm looking for cold hardy stuff. I'm looking for frost tolerant uh, stuff, things with shorter growing seasons, um, and things that I can also try and overwinter with a few of the things that I that that I do here. Um, so I run a, a truly a small business. It is just me. <laughs> um, I do all of it. I do all of the 
planting and start seed starting and harvesting and website and marketing and and everything but i do have my family that helps me a lot my husband and um my two kids my daughter mary jane she's 10 and my son is seven so they're pretty pretty helpful when it comes to doing i don't know little harvests of peas and helping me with the chickens and the ducks and stuff making sure they're fed so uh we all kind of get it worked work done together um i love vegetables i'm team veg but uh over the years uh, my sister's really gotten me to start liking flowers <laughs> so i'm starting to venture out into um pretty things as well even though i think vegetables are super pretty <laughs> so um so i'm working on that and i really love sharing um my gardening ways i i think they're just the way that i garden but they could be viewed as i guess unique i add a lot of um square foot gardening vertical gardening green i have a greenhouse i have cold frames um i plant because a lot i do succession planting but also i save for seeds so there's not always a lot that i can do as well um and then companion planting because i do plant in, in a small area even though i i live on about an acre and a half of property but i jam everything in into smaller into a small area so knowing what i can plant close to other plants really helps um, and like I mentioned, I have chickens and I have ducks and um, I have, I'm also a licensed cannabis grower. So I provide a lot of um, help and um, education on, on growing uh, outdoor cannabis um, through my social media accounts. So I, I have really active um, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube accounts where I just post quick, quick little uh, tips to uh, help any any gardener. I love to help. I think everyone should be gardening. Um, it helps the soul. It helps the mind. It helps the body. It helps everything. Um, and even though our gardening season is quick, um, it's definitely possible to grow um, your like to sustain a family um, if you can figure out um, the ins and outs. And it doesn't come overnight, but it eventually <laughs> starts to to become more and more clear as uh, as it goes on. So it's kind of where where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's really great that it's all self-taught because I even told Jordan, I'm like, she knows so much. I just want to know like what your story is, and it's really crazy that you did it all on your own. That's really amazing because yeah, whatever it's... what you're saying about trying to help people you've definitely helped us even like through your social media like we get lots of information off you so that's great oh that's awesome to hear that's exactly what I want it there for um and I think a lot of people have this stigma that because we have such a short growing season and um the snow's here till April that it's just you know you can't do a lot of the things that that you see other gardeners doing in other zones um but mm -hmm. you we can do it we can do it <laughs> Yeah, you got to be a little more, uh, <clears throat> like a little more creative. And that's where you mentioned all the different sort of modalities that you're using, right? You mentioned, I think, using cold frames. You mentioned doing the vertical gardening. You mentioned going by, by the square footage. So uh, maybe let's dig into a couple of these things here. So you talked about having like 150 varieties of uh, plants you're growing, basically. So how how are you layering the, these together? How are you companion planting? How are you your square foot planting? How does that all work? 
yeah so <laughs> i have little like garden boxes um in the garden so i kind of loosely use the square, square foot gardening method that's kind of how i started i just thought it was so interesting to be able to just break it all down into just one square foot and then figure out you know how big everything would grow in one square foot so i know i can grow like one broccoli in a square foot but i can also grow like 16 onions in a, in a square foot right so figuring out those kinds of things i don't know for me it really helped to just figure out what I can plant with what. So when I first started, a lot of my beds were just four feet by four feet. Um, and the reason they're like that is because you can reach all of it um, from any way around it, right? So um, anything more than two, a two foot uh, gap, then you gotta start walking in your bed and then you're wasting space. Uh, so I wanna use up all the space I can. Um, so, and then now my beds have kind of changed if they're up against a wall or a fence, um, they're only two feet wide. Um, and then I can, now I make them as long as I want, but they're only ever four feet wide. So I can always reach everything without having to walk in the bed. And that way I can really plant everything right beside each other. Um, and then figuring out, it's taken me a couple of years, but figuring out what I could plant near things. So like I would plant, for instance, my garlic in the center of one of my four by 12 beds. So I could plant, I usually plant between nine and 12 cloves per garlic per square foot. So there would be, I don't know if this makes any sense to, to you, but it's for my analytical mind, it kind of works. Um, so I could plant in the entire center of that bed, um, all of my garlic. And then around the outside, I would plant things that are just a little bit lower or grow um, because garlic's gone by... I don't know, end of July, beginning of August. So now I have all that space open again. So I can plant things that would be able to grow. So this year I planted my um, bush beans around them. So then once the garlic is gone, I can release the bush beans kind of to move into that space a little bit more because they don't really produce until a little around that time, right? They're starting to around that time. So it's just little things like that, learning that like, I can't really put my beets beside my beans because they grow the same height, but I could put corn here and then I can put something that's smaller, like an, a nasturtium or like a smaller type of, of plant that grows smaller beside it. So then they're not competing for that space, but they, they grow differently and their roots also grow differently as well. So they're, they're not really competing underneath the ground either. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that, that's an idea that I really like. I like that idea of, of planting a lot of these things close together and using a lot of space. But you mentioned there, you kind of have to look a lot at what your canopy level is and sort of what your root level is to see if those mm -hmm. two things work together. Because that's that's the problem I've got into is where you plant two things together and you think, oh, well, when I'm pulling this thing, I'll put this thing in here. And then you got those things are way too tall and they're basically sucking up all the light. And those other things you plant in there, they stay like, you know, tiny. Exactly. So like for me, companion planting is exactly that, making sure that I'm planting things that are not the same height above the ground and below the ground. <laughs> um, not necessarily like, um, you know, what just grows well together based on their companionship. For me, companion planting is exactly what you just said. <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen even uh, you've posted a bit about how you plan and the charts you do. So it seems like you spend a lot of time planning. I haven't, I haven't started yet this year. <laughs> it's bad. I'm a little behind. I don't know why it feels like I could be out there planting soon anyways with the, with the winter we've had, but I haven't started planning yet. So 
um, yeah, I got to get, get down to that pretty quick. <laughs> but yeah. again, I plan it. Uh, sorry. I plan it and it changes and it changes and it changes and I'll change it. Even when I get out there in the garden with the, with the plants in my hand, it changes again. So, um, <laughs> it's always changing. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's something we find for ourselves too. And this year we decided to try to be a little more rigid with our plan. So like, um, so like, what are the kind of, uh, what reasons is it that you have for modifying your plan? Cause like say a modification for a person like you with as much experience as you have, it's a little bit different for say someone like us, like say someone like us, maybe we get like, Oh, maybe we have enough room for one more of these, these plants that we actually don't have room for or something more like that. Like that's kind of a change that we'll make, but what's a change that you sort of make while you're, uh, you're in here in the fall. Hey. It's pretty similar. It's it's a lot of the times I'm picturing it differently in my head when I'm just looking at it uh, from above, like on a on a spreadsheet. Um, and I think they'll work well together. But then once I get out there, I realize that there's just not going to be as much space for for this type of thing that I that I wanted to plant, or um, I forgot that um, it's going to lose a lot of light for this one thing that I want to plant, for instance, it's going to lose light in this area and it's not going to get as big as I'd want it to get. So it's not a good idea to put it there. Or um, I have, I end up having more than I need of something or less than I need of something. So, so um, it's a lot of just, yeah, juggling a lot and over and over again. <laughs> and then, so with the, the small business aspect that you got there, are, are you growing basically like uh, you're growing food to sell, right? You're growing products. No, I'm not growing pro produce. I only grow, okay. I grow, I grow produce for, for my family. Right, um, right. Enough, enough for us, but I don't sell, I don't sell like, uh, um, like my tomatoes at the market or anything like that. Those are all getting eaten by us and, and preserved and, and, uh, and everything by us. But I do plant for seed saving. So a lot of the stuff that I plant, um, normally like, when it's done for you, you'd rip it out because there's no use for it anymore. But for me, I have to leave it in there because I need it. They need the seeds to mature. So um, that makes like succession planting a little bit, a little bit more challenging here, especially, I don't know, I've tried a fall, um, a fall garden, I guess. I don't know if, if you guys have out, outdoors, but it never really amounts to too much. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this year was, was fairly mild. It seemed like we had stuff we left like into November and it was fine like our more yeah. core, old hardy stuff. And we, we kind of planned around that a little bit this year. Yeah. Like we're hoping yeah. that we'll stay mild into those months. Cause then we'll have like, uh, uh, what did we have in our last succession there? We had some, some more peas out there. We had some Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprouts uh, kale. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a few, yeah I, I had like, I think mm -hmm. I did four rounds of peas this year. This was the first year that I've gotten that many rounds. in, so it was definitely a good, longer season it was it was wet i don't know was it really wet there for you guys too like i had a lot of mold and stuff yeah. at the end of the season but yeah yeah that's that was another <laughs> that was that was uh something i meant to ask about too and i i think i had a couple of problems so like uh, i uh, i grow a little bit of cannabis too uh just what what you're allowed to grow with the limit or whatever right and um yeah. this this year there i transferred them too late like i planted them in the dome I planted them in the ground because I thought like, oh, I'll get a jump. I'll let them get kind of big and then I'll transplant them. But I didn't really account for like trying to transplant a giant plant like that. <laughs> the structure it would have that I was going to. Be like, so basically I killed four plants. Aww. And 
well, I brought them back. So I planted them and they looked like awful for a while and then they came back. Mm-hmm. And then ahead of the four that I transplanted, two turned out to be males anyways. And then the two that I had left, mold got them. And so I, yeah. I figured probably because I stressed them out because of the late transfer. Like this year, I I have all my ideas for like when I'm doing my transplants and stuff. So I'm not going to run into that problem again. But so it was the moisture. So what do you do about moisture for like it's plants tough. that are sensitive to that? Because we had a lot of rain yeah. this year. It's not even just your cannabis. It's say let's like, like your uh, your um, powdery mildew. Yeah, powdery mildew. That's exactly what I was going to point out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's tough. It's really, it is really tough. Um, I, I, for cannabis, um, the mold does become kind of inevitable, inevitable by the end of the season, um, because we had such a long season too this year. Normally, we're already pulling, pulling our cannabis before, um, like mine's usually out of the ground by, be definitely before November. But there was like it was long this year. It was a long season, so. Um, when I do, like, I check them every day for mold. I also, I've like shaken the trees every morning. I call them trees because by then they're so big, but I shake them to shake off all that extra, that extra dew that's on them. Um, and I've also used like a leaf floors too, to try and get the moisture off of them in the mornings. But, um, for the most part, I just watch, watch the plants. And then when I see mold starting, I just cut that completely out of the plant. If you don't, you'll lose, you can lose the plant in like a day. It's, it's happened to me and it really sucks. So, um, but yeah, other than that, like while it's growing, I make sure that I keep it really thin in the inside. So like if you're picturing a Christmas tree, but there's nothing, there's nothing in the center of it. So that really helps keep the wind flow through. Um, I've also noticed a big difference from ones that I plant like against like a fence or a greenhouse as opposed to ones that are just in the middle of the garden. Those ones do way, way better when it comes to to mold. They, because they can really, the wind can really blow right through them. Whereas the other ones get, uh, yeah, they're just, they get mold from, from not having yeah. enough airflow. Yeah, they're trapped in a but, corner. Uh, yeah, but like for what you said, honestly, I think that, you didn't do anything i've transplanted stuff before weeds cannabis is super it's a weed it's super hardy it'll come back even if it looks like crap but uh it was just it was a really wet season this year so i had to pull like and if if i noticed the plant starting to really get a lot of mold spots i just pulled the plant entirely even if it is a little bit early i'd rather i'd rather sacrifice a little bit of thc than lose the entire plant Yeah, well, that was another consideration, too, where the first year that I grew, um, I basically ran into the problem of being root-bound because it grew, it grows way faster than you expect. Like, for a person who's never grown cannabis before, yeah, yeah, yeah. it grew crazy big, crazy fast. Yeah. And then yeah. I bought these these big, huge planters for it there last year. And then, I don't know if, if, you, if you get like me, but once I start seeing them get big, I start thinking to myself, I'm like, how big can I actually grow one of these things? <laughs> yeah. But then, then yeah. it gets to the point where you can't even maintain it anymore. Like I had to get up on a ladder to trim my plants. Yeah. I was keeping the leaves out of there so it wouldn't get mold, which I ended up losing that battle anyways. So like yeah. in, in, in like, say, picking like for your cannabis, are you picking, say, certain strains that you're expecting a certain sort of flowering period on? Are certain ones better for our area? That kind of thing. Because that's the, the last couple of years when I tried growing, it was just like, 
bag seed. So just seeds people have given me. I just tried out just to try it out. Yep. And this yep. year I'm going to actually try to pick a, a strain and try to make an actual go of it. So what kind of strains, what kind of, yeah. where do you go? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like a good, it's a good task for me to figure that out at the beginning when I want to start every year. Um, I do a lot of research into what I want to grow. So I am looking for, I'm looking for cannabis that flowers in eight weeks or less. Um, and I'm looking for usually, I, I, I don't know. I really like indicas, which is actually beneficial because indicas usually grow like a little bit shorter and stockier as it is. Um, so those ones are usually, usually a little bit better for our Northern, our Northern climate. Um, but then, um, it's tricky because you want a shorter, you want a shorter um, flowering period, but also you have to remember the shorter it is, the quicker it's going to flower. So if you want good bud and you want good result, you got to make sure that you're feeding that thing all the time. Otherwise it's, it gets away from you. Like you said, like they grow right. so quickly. Right. And then boom, 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 it's ready and it's done. And you're like, crap, I didn't get to feed it as much as I wanted to, or I didn't get, you know, prune it. I like pruning mine. I keep pushing them down so that they grow wider and wider and stuff. Right. So, um, so there's little things like that, like shorter growing seasons are great, but too short, not so good. Right. So there's always kind of an upside and a downside to, to that. But yeah, normally I'm looking for ones that flower by like mid October at the latest. I've had some that I just love to grow and I know they're not going to finish until like the first week of November. <laughs> that makes me nervous every year, but I just love, I just love to grow them. So um, those ones I, now I, I plant them in like big, I have 15 gallon felt pots so I can pull them into my, into my greenhouse if I need to. Um, if the uh, weather starts getting pretty bad. <laughs> right. And so do, do you use any autoflower at all? Or are you strictly just photo period? And then you're saying that you're staying mostly to, towards indica and that's going to have more of that bushy sort of structure. So like you're trying to keep them a little bit smaller. So they're a little more manageable. Um, is there any benefit in say starting the plant earlier inside to increase that sort of vegetative period to make a bigger plant, to make bigger bud, or is that just sort of a waste of time? No, that's, that's an excellent question. So for, for I grow photo periods, I like them because I, they're, they're more forgiving. You can't really, um, you can manipulate the light and you can keep them under your control a lot easier. Autoflowers, um, they're on a timeline, right? So they're, they're going to bud when they want to bud. You can't, you can't do anything about it. And they're done when, when they want to be done. Um, and for me, that makes it a little bit more nerve wracking because I got a lot going around, a lot going on all the time. So if I can, if I forget about it, then I, it's not the end of the world if it's a photo period uh, cannabis plant. So for me, I'm usually starting my cannabis for outdoors, my photo period cannabis. You can start it this month if you'd want to. Um, I'll be starting them. Like I've already started some, but I, I'm using them for, for different purposes. But I did start some just this week and I'd say by the beginning of March is a good starting base. You can start them earlier. There's no harm in starting a photo period cannabis earlier. Um, but if you are, I would be pruning those down. So I'd be topping them so that they, they can split out and then topping mm -hmm. those so you can keep growing it nice and bushy. So by the time you get it outside, it's probably going to be, I don't know, about a foot and a half tall, but it's going to have a lot of growth on it. So once you get that in the ground, it's going to just like, it's going to just take off like a big bush will be like, like four feet wide <laughs> it's so nice <laughs> so but I, that's but for an autoflower 
you can't, I would not start, I'd start those with my tomatoes at the beginning of April. I wouldn't start those early because you can't get them outside um, to get them to grow fast enough. Our light won't be good enough yet anyways till then, so. Yeah, and that was that was a kind of a consideration I wondered too for when uh, when you're trying to figure out like how long it's going to take for your plant to flower. So like the ones I was growing, I didn't know the particular varieties, so I didn't really know how long they were going to take to flower or any of that kind of thing. But like, because um, when do they really start to change in the flower? Because I, I noticed it's probably around when we're getting to like 14 hours daylight, roughly. Yeah, it's so. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm back. Did it go? Sorry. I'm back. There. Okay. So I'm actually not, I don't really pay attention to, I'm not the cannabis grower that pays attention to day 35 of of the grow or you know there you see people talk about that a lot about all of that (laughs) i just kind of go by what it looks like um and you can start to tell they're usually to me they usually start budding in august um some start earlier than others and sometimes they it's i've noticed too like ones that i think aren't going to start budding until august actually start earlier or they'll start later too so it's not always for for me, it's not always like an exact science when it comes to cannabis. It, I, maybe it could be. I just I just go by what it's looking like. But you can really tell the difference when they start to when they're gonna when they're about to to flower. You can start to see them just kind of change. And then I know because I I also like this year I didn't, but normally I take clones from those plants before before they flower so that I can keep them as mothers and then grow them again the next year if I really like the strains so I don't have to start over. Um, mm-hmm. But this year I started from scratch, so it's a different year. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's kind of one of the reasons too where I feel like if you talk about cannabis cultivation for so long because there's so much because <laughs> then you start to have like mother plants and because like it's one of those things too. It's like um, when you love gardening, it's it's kind of like the perfect overlap because you kind of have quick results from what your inputs are. You have like, you can see what you change and all that kind of thing. And it's, it's such a customizable thing. Like you're, you're creating a total experience out of this plant. You're having this relationship with it's, it's really cool. And I, I could talk about like that for forever. And so anyways, it makes me <laughs> the harvesting end of it because this way we can, we can segue into more other stuff too. Um, yeah. So then say we're getting closer to harvest time. Um, that's something too you gotta be watching for if we talked about mold earlier and stuff like that. So they, they they get ready. I've heard people say that they'll check like basically the trichome, they'll look at the color of them, the sort of amber versus cloudy. Do you do any of that or how do you sort of judge when it's ready to chop them down? Yeah, so it's it is a combination of that. Um, I noticed so when they flower they start to get those big nice buds and there's like those they look like white hairs that start on them um those white hairs are kind of that's what i'm watching so those white hairs are going to start to change and they're going to start to amber and brown um but then there's actually i look for the trichomes um after the um the white hairs the white hairs are just a good overall indicator but for me to really know precisely from like yesterday to today to tomorrow, if I'm going to pull it either one of those days, then I'm looking at the trichomes, which are the tiny little, they look like little pin pin pricks um, on the buds. And for those, it's the same kind of premise. So the white hairs start 
um, cloudy, milky, like a, a white color, then they then they start to brown and amber. Um, it's the same thing with the trichomes. They start off as like a, like a clear, then they go milky, and then they start to, to amber. And then once I start to see that ambering color on them, that's when I, I make the decision to, to, to pull it. So it's not an exact science for me. I just, um, from looking at um, harvesting over the years, um, when it looks like I can see a good amount of that ambering color in the trichomes, then that's when I'm, I'm going to, I decide to pull the plant and I pull the whole plant. I don't right. just harvest. Yeah. And then when you do that, do you hang the whole plant in total or do you go into trim right away and then hang? So I personally like to, uh, trim and, and then hang, but sometimes we have, uh, more than one that harvests at a time. And um, I mean, I could be harvesting, I could be trimming one plant for for three days because it's, it's just of the mere size that they can get to. So um, if I have more than one plant um, that's come to harvest at the same time, then I'm forced to just hang them uh, separately. So then I'll cut the plant smaller into smaller branches and hang them and then just trim as I get to, get to them. But I, I, I don't really, I think it's just personal preference. I personally just like to trim before I feel like the, um, the bigger leaves on it, give it like more of a, like a hay taste or uh, like, kind of like, I don't know, a different taste, but might just be in my head. <laughs> well, I've heard people say that too. And I've, I've kind of tried both now this, this year's harvest. I didn't really get to try out too much of, I, there was a couple, there was like probably one plant that had some left on it. That was okay. And then I also noticed it had a really piney taste. And I wondered, and maybe this is just a silly thing, but so there's a big pine tree in my yard that always gives off lots of pollen. And I wonder if maybe the plant would take on some of that. Because I know that there's similar terpenes, right? Mm -hmm. And I wondered if maybe like some of that terpene profile would get in the plant or maybe the plant was just covered in pollen and that's why it smelled like the, the pine tree or, or whatever the case might be. But, yeah, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it could definitely be. I've had some some cannabis that tastes very piney, but that'd be that's pretty interesting to 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 know too. Yeah, and so as long as we're was. talking about uh, the harvesting <laughs> and stuff too, so say you're harvesting that, you got that going on. You've got probably a bunch of other stuff you're harvesting all at the same time. Like it must be like <laughs> a couple months period where you're just like go go go. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm still I'm still harvesting <laughs> so my for my seeds still. and stuff too yeah like it's it goes on forever there is yeah so it is that's important that's a good point that you made that like I have my vegetable garden that I prepare produce for for my family um, so that we can have stuff into the winter months and into the spring before we can start growing again but then I also have my small business where I um I'm growing for seed collection and seed savings. So, um, so there's that aspect as well. And then I have a, an entire cannabis <laughs> operation that's going on as well. So there's kind of, and then, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And then I'd be throwing, you know, the chickens and the ducks and, and, uh, and a lot of stuff. So there's, it's, it becomes a pretty busy time. Um, but there's only so many hours in the day, so we'll get to it tomorrow. <laughs> you said that, uh, you could sustain yourself with the garden. So are you at a point where you said right now that you, uh, you eat whatever you've grown in the summer throughout the winter months. So is that something that you strive for is to only be eating whatever you grow? Yes. I think it's like, I think it's really important. Like, um, 
Like we make our own, like we make our tomato sauce and we're jarring, you know, pickles and, and peppers and stuff um, and freezing. I freeze a lot of like um, of my squashes and pumpkins and stuff too. We freeze a lot of that in, in spinach. Um, I just think that it's really, I mean, it's grown in such a great environment out there. I know exactly all the conditions that it's grown under. I know where the seeds came from. I know, um, you know all of it so there's no there's no unknowns when it comes to feeding my family that food so the more I can do it the better better it is and so uh, being that you're mindful of uh, wanting to sort of feed your family the whole season long do you have like um, a lot of those like are you just like core staples do you have a lot of variety because I know overall you have a lot of variety but are, are more more of your variety of your garden sort of supporting plants or are they food or what can you say on that yeah, so my kids my kids like certain certain vegetables, right? So I want to make sure that I'm definitely planting what they want. So we always have to make sure we have peas and beans and carrots um for them. And then I have my favorites that I love, not in not necessarily like they're going to be huge seed sellers, but I love to grow them and eat them. So like beets and there's a lot of stuff that uh um you know are not <laughs> I make <laughs> the small business sacrifice to grow for 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 me and the family um and uh yeah we just uh make sure that we always have those those core um vegetables in i mean we're always planting our lettuces and and our spinaches and stuff but then there's always like there's always fun things that i want to try even if they're not meant for my zone um it's you know it's a long shot i still i still want to try them i still want to do do all that and see what I can get away with and what I can't. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I tried it. So, mm-hmm. um, I also noticed that you have your children involved a lot to, when you're in the garden and that kind of thing. Are you taking a lot of opportunities to teach them uh, so that yeah. they know what they're <laughs> so that they yeah. know a little bit about gardening? How does that go? Yeah, they might not necessarily always want to be there, um, but I think they're learning by osmosis. I mean, I. Any chance I can get to talk about about gardening or what's going on is I'm going to do it. And they're unfortunately, they're always around. So they're going to hear me talk about it all the time. Um, I have been gardening for so long and it, it honestly doesn't get old. It doesn't it doesn't like seeing your first tomato grow or your first radish sprout up in, of the season or anything like that. It's to me. I get so excited every time I see it and I'm sharing that excitement with, with them, with my kids and with, and even though they're like, yeah, mom, we know it's another carrot. Like we get it. But like, (laughs) to me, they're now they know what, how a carrot grows, right. They know a carrot grows in the ground. Whereas, you know, I don't know if there's, it sounds like such a simple thing, but I've, there's probably plenty of people that don't really know where carrots grow or how Russell sprouts grow or anything like that. Right. So these are little things that they don't really necessarily know that they're learning, but they know it now when they, when they go out into the world. Yeah. It's kind of one of those funny things where you, uh, you just think it's normal because it's normal. You're exposed to it. Right. Where <laughs> yeah. a, a similar thing to that I would think of is like when a person, you know, they say like, Oh, I like steak. And you're like, all right, well, here's a cow. Show me where you get steak from. And they got no idea, right? There's no connect. They couldn't say, oh, well, you get some steak here. You can get some steak here. You can get some steak here. I like yeah. this kind of steak, you know? They got no concept of that. Like like baby carrots. What's a baby carrot? That That's not like a thing that grows. 
Not as far as I know, right? No, yeah. Like, oh, well, they must grow baby carrots. They grow them in little baby carrot nurseries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So um, I I think they're pretty skilled now, though, in in being able to identify, you know, the difference between a radish and a beet, for instance. Like, that's, I don't know. I don't think if I asked my neighbor, they probably wouldn't know. So it's just, it's little things like that that, um, you know, I, I think it gives me a little bit of, I smile when I hear it for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, uh, over the pandemic and stuff like that, I imagine, especially because, you know, there was not a whole lot else going on. There was, it was great to have the garden and be around that. And I, if I'm not mistaken, you had a lot of attention around your garden, uh, come, come the pandemic time. Right. So there was a lot of community people having eyes on the garden, being around, mm-hmm. like so what happened there? What was that experience like? Um, I I just I had a lot of of garden tours. Um, we yeah we had like the um, local. Um, actually, they were here about our chickens and our ducks. The the local uh, news news because we had them skating on our rink. <laughs> but um, it was really it was really nice. It's just it's awesome. I like I love it. I'd love for everyone to be able to come and just walk through my garden because of course like I think it's wonderful what we can grow like right now it's it's just a blanket of white and and in three months four months maybe five actually it's going to be like amazingly green and and tall and like an oasis and it's just crazy to see what what everyone can grow in such a short period of time when it goes from seriously like flat white to like this massive beautiful green thing (laughs) so i i would love everyone to come and see it and maybe get inspired and want to do it themselves and there's it's totally frustrating i'm frustrated all the time with gardening but it i know that it's also super rewarding too so there's always you know this push and pull and give and take with it so well i mean uh it must be contagious and around your area there you have a great attitude with this stuff and when i hear you talking about it it, it really kind of uh makes me appreciate even having our short season because even when you're <laughs> talking about this you know this this uh blank white slate that we kind of have laid on the land right now and you think about like you know in different climates right now it's still green and lush and tropical but in a way it maybe adds a bit of a beauty to our northern landscape because of how short it is and how precious it is there's a it's a different kind of more fragile beauty that's also paired up with the sort of the absence of that beauty right and maybe it's that kind of the absent makes the heart grow fonder in a sort of a sense right and like you you kind of uh, you exude this passion which is i think why <laughs> i know my wife loves your page and i hear about it all <laughs> I'm a big fan of your page too. I oh, think that's uh, so awesome to hear. You have a great attitude, and it just comes through. It's uh, it, it's great to see that you have people coming through to your garden and seeing that because you're right. We can grow a lot of stuff here. We have it's we have a, a beauty to the land here with what we can grow when we can grow it. It's it's remarkable. It is. It really is. It does makes. <laughs> I look forward to it all year. <laughs> see that green again. Yeah, and, and it's kind of fun, too, because you can try and grow new stuff. So, like, uh, our, our new thing that we're trying to grow that might die is we're trying to grow a fig tree. We got a fig tree in our greenhouse that we're trying to keep alive. And we'll see like how over, winters. We're overwintering. Like, 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear how that goes. I've tried. It doesn't work for me here, but I didn't put it in the ground. I know yours is a lot um, uh, like yours is like heated and a little bit more secure in there than, than my, my makeshift greenhouse. But uh, I'd love to hear how that works out. Cause I have, I also have, actually there's some fig trees in the back there. Okay. Um, I have them too, but I, I bring them in in the winter. <laughs> and how do they produce in those, in those pots there? Um, they do well, they do well. Um, but I, um, I'm not getting like a, a large harvest off of them. I'm only getting yeah. like just a little a handful for us, me and the kids to to snack on at, at come harvest time. So, but they're easy to propagate. So I can make more and more of them whenever I want to. And this one kind of got away from me. That's why it's in the corner there. And I'll just keep cutting off of it and, and making more little plants so I can train it to go how I want it to go instead of like that. <laughs> Well, that's, that's a whole other art form, too. It's something I had to learn a lot about in my greenhouse was uh, shaping plants, right, and cutting them and all that other kind of stuff. And then you get into that, you can do splicing and that. Like, because I was just kind of messing around with stuff in the dome and I had tomato plants that were growing so big and they were indeterminates, I had, like, parts where, like, it grew so big it basically fell over and part of it snapped off. And I thought, you know, just for kicks, I'm like, I bet you I could probably just put that in the ground. And then you plant that mm -hmm. in the ground, that thing just turns into a new plant. And you look that's at your plants. Go ahead. No, sorry. That's that's just another thing about how we were talking about earlier about knowing where you can plant beside what, um, based on the space and stuff. With in, indeterminate tomato plants, they they can easily get away from you and grow massive. But um, if you're on them and you're keeping, um, keeping your eye on them, like I only plant my indeterminate tomato plants a, a foot apart from each other, and um, because I only plant them a foot apart, I make sure I just I really keep them really nice and, and trimmed up at the bottoms, um, take off all those suckers so they can only stay on that main stem. And um, that way I can plant uh, a hell of a lot in a, in a small area. So. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the problems I had because, um, I don't know, I guess I haven't learned that yet really. Where, where I'm trying to uh, train those tomato plants, I was – trying to like take some of the suckers that were low because I wanted to encourage that growth up and I wanted to keep it to more of a main stem, but I ended up always having like these three or four kind it of It happens really fast. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. The thing. I was planting my plants a little more like probably 18 inches apart roughly. And even then they were really like growing up into each other. So I mean, I must imagine like you're, you must be really, is, is there like a sort of um, a period up to where you got to be really on top of them and then you can kind of relax on them a little bit or you got to be constantly on them? Yeah, no, definitely. You, there's, you can relax on them once you, once they start um, flowering or uh, fruiting, putting their fruit out a little, a kind of a little bit. <laughs> um but uh, I have some actually some good tutorials on showing you what the main stem looks like and where you can trim. Um, mm -hmm. So I can sh definitely share those with you. So because it's I don't know, I find it's just so much easier, like visually to, to see it. Um, mm -hmm. And until you do it, it's it really does feel like you're like killing your whole tomato plant. But in, in reality, you're actually making it so much stronger. <laughs> so um, it's crazy to see like how much you can actually pull off the plant. Like if you're like, I've been gone for like a week and come back. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get in here? And like, I'm taking off suckers that already have fruit growing on them. But 
if I take that whole branch off, then the rest of it's going to just keep growing and, and I'm going to get much bigger, better fruit that's going to ripen before I have to pull them before frost comes. So there's like a give and take where it's hard to sacrifice the green that's already growing, but in the long run, you know, it is going to be better and more beneficial for that plant. <laughs> so yeah. Like it's, even it's, in our yeah. first year, we, we were like, no, the plant needs to stay intact. We want it all to be there. Why would we take stuff away? But really you got to do a lot of that for the plant to really strive. Well, and that's what yeah. it kind of made me want to ask too, is like, so let's say I got like the dome there where I have the benefit of having like a longer season. So I'm not as worried about frost. I can go into November. Right. Yeah. So like when I'm trimming the plant, how do I maximize, like, say the, the, the fruit production that I'm going to get? Because in my way of thinking, if I have like, say more suckers in a way that develop more potential fruit bearing branches on an indeterminate, I'm going to get more fruit. Or is that kind of the wrong way to think about it? Like you want to have certain branches produce heavier sort of, so to speak. Yeah, it is and it isn't. It's kind of a, it is, it is, it's tough for me. Like I'm growing the tomatoes that I grow in my greenhouse. I still prune them the same way that I do the ones that are not in the greenhouse, but they'll just continue to produce even after the ones in the open garden I've already pulled. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but then there's staking involved or like, I just put like, kind of like um, a string in the ground and let them kind of wrap up the string, but then they kind of start to to move all all uh, through, so they get a little bit taller, but they will continue to pr- to produce as long as they can. They won't stop producing. So if you can, um, yeah, if you can, for, like for me, I would still pull off all those suckers unless I missed one and they really split twice. Then I'll I'll leave a I'll leave a a little Y split <laughs> once in a while. But other than that, I'm still pulling off those suckers, and I get like. I get so many tomatoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so. I'll have to check out your, your video about the main stem and all that kind of thing, because I, I think that's where maybe I was pulling off suckers, but I wasn't really keeping that main stem. And then I was kind of giving myself more trimming and more problems to do later on. And, and well, then I'll, I mean, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Especially because you have the, that, that greenhouse. If you're pulling off suckers, like you said, you can just plop them right in the ground right beside them too, and then get, get more that's that's so nice <laughs> to be able to mm-hmm. do that to have that extended season well that might, might i wonder if that's not a bad idea too when i start thinking about trimming the the plants there this year if i wouldn't cut off some suckers and plant them in the odd place because we we planted like how i mentioned <clears throat> we planted things a little further apart we planted with mind of having things further apart again this year uh, we're also focusing on doing a lot more different varieties. Like I think we have some tomatillos, we have oh, some yeah. bigger tomatoes, we have, uh, and we did three or four different kinds of peppers. Uh, four or five, I think. Four or five yeah, different kinds of peppers. So the dome, that's what we're going to try to use that for more of, more kind of like oddball, bright colors, more heat tolerant, because that's the other yep. thing too, it's, it's so hot in there. Um, yes. But yeah, that's when, what I was thinking is, is, is maybe that's what I'll try to do is like try to repurpose some of those suckers and replant them because then I can maybe fill out that space a little bit more because that's the trick with the dome is I, I want it to be full and I, I want it to, to grow as much as possible, but I also don't want to like crowd things out and suffocate anything. Yeah. Yeah. So what I like, what I'm like, when I'm growing my tomatoes by the end of, the, not the end of the season, but there's like a good, I don't know, four, four, five feet that's just stem 
by the end, right? Because you've already pulled off all the other all the other tomatoes that have grown. So there's all that space underneath. And I know they still need their root, but if you can kind of off, if you're planting them 18 feet apart, you can put one in front of the, like in a triangle kind of thing, like in front of there, mm -hmm. like a sucker. And then that one is going to grow a little bit later than the ones that have already gone and, and put off their, their long, their long, like they're already five, six feet in the air kind of thing. Right. Um, and then this one can kind of, I don't know, that's, that's just me. I would try, <laughs> I would try to do that, see what would happen. <laughs> well, that, that, that makes a lot more sense because like, I'm thinking how you're talking about having it manicured. If it was like that, I could see having a lot more space in there because like you're saying, the canopy is so much higher up and the way that yeah. the dome sits in there, I would have access to a lot of that light. So maybe that's what I'll try to do is I'll try to trim as much as that low canopy as possible and then mm -hmm. transfer some of those suckers into that lower canopy and uh, interspace them a little bit more. Cause I think it's as good. It's, it's good uh, to also to have as much roots in the ground as possible as often as possible. Right. Yeah. And again, any leaves that are like any leaves that are below your your lowest hanging fruit, get rid of them. You don't need them, right? So that helps with a lot of airflow too, and it helps um, keep things, you know, so you don't end up getting um, any mold or any mildew or anything in there. So that's that's kind of contributes to it. Literally, just looks like a long like stem <laughs> all the way up to when the first fruit is there. So um, yeah, so that makes it a lot more open and it doesn't feel as jungly when you're in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then that kind of reminds me, I mean, I guess they're not totally related, but um, powdery mildew. So what do you do about that? Or do you just kind of accept the fact that like, you're going to get it and just try to grow yeah. around it? Cause I, yeah, I found much. <laughs> that we like to grow. It just seems like we're going to get it at some point. I do yes. worry sometimes about having stuff in the yard that's prone to powdery mildew and then having cannabis in the same yard. I don't know how much they transfer or any of that kind of thing. But yeah, like our, our cucumbers, despite the fact they had the powdery mildew, we still got a pretty good harvest. It's just it seemed it seemed to kill our zucchinis. Like they didn't they didn't produce very well at all. Yeah, my zucchini gets powdery mildew pretty much every every year by the end of the season. Um and I, uh, this year I had some on my peas as well. And I do get it in my cannabis as well. So um I've tried a few things. I've tried um, using, God, I can't even remember now. It's a ah, sulfur. It's a sulfur. Um, and it's like just a powder that you can spray on it. And I find it, it does help, but you have to continuously apply it, which makes it a lot of work when you have a good amount of plants growing. Um, I've also tried milk um, diluted with water, and that does help as well, too. Um, but for the most part, it's, t it's tough. It's tough. And like, I get it on my bee bomb too, every year. It's just, there's some plants that just, it kind of comes hand in hand with it. So keeping everything as like, even with my zucchini and my cucumbers, if they're your vine for your cucumber goes, I don't know, two feet long until you get your first cucumber, I'm pulling off everything before that, before that cucumber fruit. Right. So there's no, there's no chance for it to jump from, from leaf to leaf. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, at, at first onset of seeing it, I try and get, get rid of them, but you know, you still have to keep some, some leaves. They still need some photosynthesis in order to grow. So it is, it's kind of a crappy thing, powdery mildew. <laughs>
Well, that's uh, that's interesting too because uh, with my cucumbers, I've never really trimmed them as much. I only started really trimming them when I had powdery mildew, and I was mostly getting rid of the affected stuff when I had it. And it sounds like maybe uh, with your way of thinking there, I could have been on it a little bit earlier and probably prevented it spreading a little bit later on. Like it's really just it's prevention. It's just kind of to slow it down is what you're trying to do. Yeah, so even the your, your cucumbers, you're trimming you're trimming the leaves on the, the lower part. So it seems like a rule if it's below the fruit, you're you want to get rid of all those leaves. Yeah, like for me, for my I, that's just that I've always done that in in my mind. Like if it's not doing like it I want the energy from the roots to go to the fruit, right? So if there's stuff in the way to get there, um it's it's going to disperse that energy to everything else along the way. So if there's nothing else for for it to, for that energy to get from the root to the fruit, then it can go right to the fruit, right? It makes it a little bit of an easier path. Um, so I like to. That's just kind of my. I never thought of it. That makes of. Like, really <laughs> like as as you were saying it, I'm like, well, yeah, because you know it goes up to there, and there's this yeah. thing here that needs energy, so it's like, well, you need to put energy Don't there. Share it, yeah. Exactly. Like because yeah. for some reason in my head, I kept thinking like, oh well, if I have these leaves, these leaves are helping the plant uh, photosynthesize. And they more. do. Right. So I was thinking <laughs> they do. Like, we need them too. We still need we still need leaves, but. Um, the ones that are like low to the ground, they're not even seeing light anyway. So they're actually working even harder to get energy to them, right? Because they're not getting as much sunlight because they're tucked under everything else. Um, so by getting rid of them, it's sad, but getting rid of them really helps the rest of the plant. <laughs> well, they're they're effectively like a solar panel for the plant that's no longer being a solar panel. It's exactly. just sort of an energy suck. Well, because now they put out more more solar panels up top, so yeah. now they can now they can get those ones a lot a lot better and and utilize their their power a lot better. So, right. So okay. So that makes sense then. So I guess I'll want to remember that this year that I want to keep the top part of my canopy that I can leave that let that get light. That's great. I want to keep the bottom open to maximize my airflow to maximize the production to the actual fruit. And then I can also maybe get the secondary effect of planting another lower lying canopy which is great because now I'm sort of doing a succession or a companion planting on top of that. So that, yeah. that's, that's a valuable uh, way of thinking about that right there. Yeah. So like normally, like I, like I, when I was saying, I like, if, let's just talk about like a regular four by four square foot bed, right? For me, I'm planting in the center of that bed. So in the four square feet in front, in the middle or the two square, two, 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 <laughs> sorry, <laughs> there's, there's a, block of four in the middle of that square foot bed that I'm planting pole beans. Okay. So I'm putting like a teepee up in the middle so I can run those pole beans in the middle. And then around the entire bed, I'm planting my um, tomatoes because I can, I can grow them really tall. And then once they, they need staking, I can just clip them to the pole beans. Right. And that way they'll be able to be supported, but they can still grow with the pole beans. Pole beans grow a little bit faster than the tomatoes do. So they've already made their way to the top and they've already started putting out their flowers by the time my tomatoes are getting up there. But then now the whole bottom of that bed is open basically because everything's pushed itself up and we've taken off all the bottom leaves or they've started to fall oh. off which happens a lot with, with beans, pole beans as well. Um, and then that around there, that's where I'm putting like marigolds or like nasturtiums or something that is um, like a beneficial 
um, pollinator plant or something like that, that only grows so sm like a smaller, not a crackerjack mar marigold or anything, but like a smaller bushier kind of plant that you can grow kind of in between all of those little um, spots where it's going to be open now. And then by planting like that too, it's really hard for weeds to grow. <laughs> so like I don't really have to do a lot of weeding. I mean, in the beginning, yes, you do when it's a new bed because you still have a lot of stuff that's coming from from before and, you know, in your soil and whatever. But for me, I'm not wasting a lot of my time doing weeding. There's nothing there because there's no there's no space for them to even compete. There's just there's so much other beneficial product growing that they kind of have to take a hike. So, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the right way to think about it, because that root or sorry, that uh, that weed there, what it's trying to do is it's just using excess. Uh, you know, it's it's it can thrive there because there's something for it to thrive on. And so if you look at that, you think, oh, well, I don't want weeds, but I want something that will help me a little more, a beneficial pollinator or whatever the case might be. Yeah, you put that there. Now that 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 weed that wants the same food, there's not as much as that food there. So now, you know, you don't have to worry about it. And yep. you can still have that big sort of um, everything all filled in with all kinds of growth, but it'd be the growth you want, not the growth you don't want. Yeah. That's what you don't want to have as a gardener too. You got enough work. You don't want to be out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. And one thing I don't want to be have to do. <laughs> what do you do so. for fertilizer? Um, I use compost. Um, I have my own for my chickens and my ducks, but I do always end up getting like a, a truck truckload from the local um, compost facility here as well. And that's, just what I mix in. I mix it in in the spring. And if I can, I mix it in in the fall too. Um, but sometimes I run out of time. So, um, but yeah, I'm just mixing that in um, once, at least once a season to make so sure. So for the summer, that. you're not adding anything? No, no, not net. No, unless it's my cannabis <laughs> or if, yeah, like, no, there's not, there's nothing else that I'm really doing. I don't mm -hmm. think, I'm trying to think. No. <laughs> yeah, because with us this year, we tried using a little bit of uh, like a fish-based fertilizer this year. And I was using that with the cannabis, and I was feeding that every couple of weeks. I misread the label first, and I was feeding it hardly ever at all. And then, <laughs> oh, wow, I could really be feeding this a lot more. So Yeah, it's, yeah that's a good one to feed them. We'll, we'll, we'll get on top of that a little bit more with feeding the rest of the beds. But um, so you mentioned feeding the cannabis to lots, especially when it's in flower. Um, with people who have, like, say, synthetic fertilizers, I know a lot of times they'll talk about, like, they'll finish them and they'll do, like, kind of a flush. If you're yeah. using, you don't have to do any of that, I guess, probably if you're using more of a biological. Or do you have any yeah. worry about contaminating the flavor? No, I don't do I don't do any of that. I don't do any of the – I don't do flushing or starving or anything like that. I just – I feed them – um, I use banana peels at the end of the, at the end of the, at their flowering phase. Um, they're really high in potassium. Mm -hmm. um, and I feed them, uh, gosh, I can't even remember now. Oh, molasses. I feed them a lot of uh, molasses. It all comes back to me once I'm actually in the garden doing it. <laughs> but right now I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> uh, but um but yeah, so I feed them right up until I decide to pull them. I don't, like we talked about earlier, I don't really keep track of 
the when they're supposed to finish the actual day they're supposed to finish or anything like that i'm just kind of going by what they look like and and uh if i got time to do it <laughs> today so um yeah i don't worry about any of the flushing so then but, uh, when it comes to feeding how often are you feeding them in that in that last flower period and are you feeding them a lot more in the flower period than you do in the veg or is it roughly the same like kind of throughout? It's it's pretty similar. Um, in the veg in the veg um, phase, I'm feeding them uh, like nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. But then as soon as they start to flower, I pull all the the nitrogen and mostly all the phosphorus out as well. I'm just feeding them potassium, a little bit of phosphorus as well, but mostly potassium for them to to finish up. Um, as I the nitrogen is going to make them grow, and I don't want them to grow anymore. I want them to put all their energy into um, flowering. So. That's why I, I kibosh the nitrogen, but. And so nitrogen is going to give you a lot more of that green development. So if we wanted to parallel that again to say other plants, when you're in the vegetative stage, say growing your tomatoes or anything else, you want them to get big and healthy. That's where you really want that nitrogen. And maybe the parallel we could continue on from the cannabis is you want to have more of that potassium probably in the fruiting stage. And yeah. um, nitrogen, so uh, potassium, and what's the other one? And Phosphorus. 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 Phosphorus is better for like a root a root development. So those ones are really good too. It's always really good to have phosphorus in there um, because the problem too is if you feed them too much nitrogen, if like say you feed your tomatoes too much nitrogen, um, they might just keep growing and growing and growing and not actually start to flower because they just think that they need to keep growing taller and taller and putting out more and more green. But there's mm -hmm. nothing, there's not enough like phosphorus potassium and, and other micronutrients for them to be like oh I should start putting up flowers and and putting up fruit right so um mm. I've had lots of actually people like that happens with um like squashes a lot when people fertilize with nitrogen or pumpkins but pumpkins are also such a heavy feeder it's you gotta feed them all the time <laughs> so. so you can almost screw up the fruiting cycle of your plant with too much nitrogen because it encourages more of the vegetative production and i'm thinking now too when i was feeding the tomatoes in the dome when we were feeding them a little bit because i had like killed them with frost and then killed them with bugs and then i was pouring <laughs> fertilizer on the fire because what else are you gonna do <laughs> yeah and so anyways i noticed for a while it seemed like yeah i was going in there and trimming leaves all the time and yeah. I wasn't really getting a whole lot of fruiting. And then I kind of stopped feeding them and then the fruit started coming. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Nitrogen can, can kind of have that, uh, like everything. There's always, there's one benefit for it, but there's also something that might not be so good. So <laughs> there's always well, a give and take. And that's why now I'm thinking when I looked at my fertilizer, I noticed that uh, the one fertilizer had a lot of the the nitrogen and the phosphorus in it, but it didn't have really much of the potassium. And then the other formula was like all potassium and none of the other stuff. And me, again, big big gardener brain, I'm like, well, they all it all needs to be up. It all needs to be <laughs> the more. higher the better. Yeah. Put all the numbers in there and I just doubled up the dumps and mix yeah. it in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that that fish the fish emulsion one is actually really good too because it's like kind of a it's like, I think it's like a five, three, two or something. It's pretty, it's pretty like, um, average across the board. Same with like, you can buy chicken, um, like pe manure pellets that are actually really, really good too. They're, they're not too strong, but they're, they do a really good job. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. 
So those are some good ones as well. But yeah, you'll notice like when you're looking, especially for cannabis too, you'll see ones that are high in the nitrogen and then lower. And then as you get into flowering phase, they're high potassium and lower in the nitrogen. And you mentioned too that you uh, use a lot of your own compost and you also use uh, your your chicken and your ducks there. Um, when it comes to say like uh, nitrogen or, or uh, a phosphorus content and that kind of thing. So what, what sort of a breakup do you get in that? Do you have to be mindful of that? Like, is it high in nitrogen, high in potassium? It's, it's, it's a general, it's, it's pretty similar to like the fish emulsion one. It's not, it's not too, uh, it's not too high in either one. So it's a, okay. it's a good overall, it's a good overall fertilizer. It's really good to have them, <laughs> even though they eat, they eat in my garden. They're still really good. <laughs> yeah. Looks like you have lots of fun with your chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. They definitely make me laugh every day. <laughs> Are you more in a, in a rural area there? Um, I well, I live I live in a neighborhood, um, but I'm out out in the west end of the city. So I live like really close to the the airport. I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but uh, like Lake Superior is literally like like a two three minute drive from my house. So like it's right it's right there. <laughs> um, so it's. The area around here is very rural, but just where I am situated, it's it's a uh, it's a little neighborhood, which is really great for the kids because it's nice and safe. There's no fast fast cars. It's it's you know full of kids, so it's it's good for them. Yeah. Um, I was thinking more about the fertilizer. Uh, <laughs> when you're using like a natural fertilizer, I've heard people talk about the synthetic ones. They'll talk about nutrient burn. That's probably, do you have to worry about that all at all with the biological ones? Like say if I use a bunch of my fish fertilizer, my emulsion, do I have to worry about really oversaturating or at least killing them? I haven't had a problem with that. I have done, I have burned before my cannabis using too much bone meal or too much blood meal. Um, but in the case that you notice that happening, you can easily, you can fix it. You just have to flush, flush the plant with water, keep flushing it. Um, and they'll, they'll come, you'll lose a few leaves, but it'll come back. Um, and you can tell because the, the, they start the tips of the leaves. Have you seen it before? The, the tips yeah. of the leaves start to, to burn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I haven't noticed it with the, um, with like the fish fertilizer or chicken manure fertilizer, just with when I'm putting in. Because the bone meal and the blood meal, those are like just phosphorus or just nit nitrogen, right? So they're a lot, right. a lot higher and a lot stronger. Right. Yeah. So like that's where I guess you got to be really when you're dealing with that high, high dose there, right? That's where you're going to get the burn. Yeah. Sometimes bigger isn't always better. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice, but sometimes it can cut. It can come back to haunt you. <laughs> well, yeah, it would make things simpler for sure, right? If you just yeah. just add more, just add more, yeah. just add more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like that, that, that's one of the things that I sort of learned to appreciate with the sort of the cannabis thing. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder how much of an effect cannabis growings actually had on horticulture in general. Cause when you, when you think about like, especially in the days where people were doing like gorilla grows and they were growing it illegally and all these kinds of things and producing like, for all the years that it was illegal, it was never stopped. <laughs> it was, it was, it's not Why like was it, was, it ever illegal? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you wouldn't know. This is a plan. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, but like, I, I think about like just hydroponics alone, 
that might be something right there that may not really have as much utility today or be thought about as much today if it wasn't for cannabis. It was really kind of these, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're talking about self-taught, right? And it, it's sort of funny, at least to me it's funny because the stereotype you're going to think of is you're going to have someone who's not very intelligent because they're a criminal and then also they're involved <laughs> with drugs. So you're going to say they're also not intelligent. Yeah. Then the, the funny irony is, is you talk to like one of these stoners, right? And they have this super complicated like hydroponics <laughs> up and the nutrients are all balanced. Like all of a sudden they're like Dexter in their laboratory, right? Like, yeah. and I don't know, I, I like, I don't know how all people feel about cannabis, but like for me, I, I like how well it goes with gardening. Like I just, it's, 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 it, it sort of dispels a lot of these sort of stereotypes. Like it's, there's a, an art form to it. It's a craft kind of a thing, but it's so much of a science and there's, there's so much of gardening enthusiasm. I think that kind of comes from our, our, our friendly fan, uh, uh, our friendly fan friend there. Can't talk. I, I absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't like grow like it, I, it, and besides all of that, it's a huge pollinator. I get so many pollinators to my to my cannabis plants, like more than my actual plants in the garden. They love them. So, um, with all that, that aside, <laughs> they're yeah, they're it's amazing. And thank you for saying that too, because it's not easy to grow. Anyone can grow it. It's not it it to grow really good. It's it's tough. It's a tough, and it it's it requires a lot of persistence and a lot of dedication to to get a good grow, right? So um, I can see a lot of people growing it um, and realizing how much work goes into harvest alone, right? So um, especially when, you know, you didn't, it's going to be, your harvest is going to be a lot tougher because you didn't manage your plant earlier or something like that, right? So these are all things that we learn as as we continue to grow them. But I use a lot of the information that I've taught myself from growing cannabis on my actual garden and vice versa. So it goes both, both ways. Like there's so much transferable skill and so much knowledge that can, can go either way. So, I mean, cannabis is basically just like another tomato. <laughs> so, Well, that's kind of funny enough. That's how they would oftentimes be referred to <laughs> in the circles when you, when you were trying to be on the DL and you were growing yeah. tomatoes in tomatoes. your closet. Yeah. yeah, you weren't growing yeah. tomatoes, but yeah. they have a basically a similar pH level. There's a lot of similar sort of principles when it comes to them. And popping yeah. them and all that kind of stuff. So they were uh, natural companion plants, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, uh, so we're going to start wrapping up. Um, before <laughs> oh my God, I could talk to you it. forever. <laughs> we're gardening friends. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Before we end it, um, it's getting to the time where a lot of us are going to start our seeds uh, indoors. Can you give us a bit of tips on doing that? Yeah. So actually, I just posted today. I'm a little behind because it's just been such a crazy February already. Uh, January is like 400 days, but February feels like it's only four. So it's crazy how it works like that. Um, So I just posted today what I started Uh, planting already I just started them about a week ago Um, but there's no rush we can put them in any time now I've started onions leeks celery I started my loofah uh, gourds that I grow Um, I've also started artichokes 
Um, and then any like perennial herbs that are like a woodier herb, like um, lavender, rosemary, thyme. Um, also lovage too, that's very similar to celery. Um, and then for flowers, the only flowers that I've started so far are lysianthus, which is new for me this year. So we'll see how that works. Um, and my canna lilies, um, I'm starting them from seed. So they take a long time because they're not really supposed to be grown here. <laughs> um, I think that's it. I think that's all. Oh, and peppers. Oh my God, peppers. So for Northern, for zone 4B, I always start my peppers in February. Um, I've started them in March before. You still get growth. You just don't get as much. Um, so I always find that starting them in February gives them a good start. Um, hot and sweet peppers. I start them both. Okay. So that's, that's great because I know that's uh, what we're thinking about doing here right away is we're going to start planting our peppers right away. And we're, yeah, we're really excited this year to see how that's all going to turn out. Yeah. Um, and so if anyone wants to get a hold of your seeds or uh, wants to look at your page or, or wants to see what you're doing, how are they going to see where you are and see what you're selling? Yeah, so I'm I'm the superior gardener. Um, and on, <laughs> it's, a, it's a play on words. It's a pun. I don't think I'm actually. <laughs> it's, it just worked out really well because I live so close to superior. See? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um it uh, on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. I'm at the Superior Gardener, uh, and my seed shop is um, the www.thesuperiorgardener.ca. I ship um, to all Canada, all USA. It's five dollars shipping, um, and I added like sixty six new varieties this year. I'm still, I, I like I said, I'm still harvesting, so I still have a few things that I'm trying to get up there before we have to start start planting again. But uh, but yeah, there's lots up there now. There's definitely over 150 varieties of. Uh, vegetable herb and uh flower seed up there um so yeah it's definitely worth it to check it out everything on the website the pictures are from my own garden um and i'm always here on social media to uh help people out so you know when people reach out and say show me your method on your water setup for your chickens i'll i'll, I'll eventually get to it i'll bit <laughs> i'll get a video together for you guys so um that's that's kind of what uh what i do <laughs> all right well thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us it was a great conversation and uh, we really appreciate it thank you thank you again for this it was it was great to chat with you guys